everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. If you know me, it's not like I'm proud of it. It's sort of like a, a quirk more than a feature, but I am like a movie buff, okay? Um, I'll take you all on in trivia of, uh, of movie uh, buff. I like, good, I like good directing. I like good acting. Sometimes you may have noticed there's someone who has just a brief screen appearance but has this oversized impact. Like, um, you know, there's, there's, you know how many scenes Jack Nicholson is in in A Few Good Men? Uh, three. Three scenes. But he's all that most people remember from that movie. Alec Baldwin steals the movie in Glengarry Gillen Ross with like one scene. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers, you know. Anthony Hopkins, he wins an Oscar for Silence of the Lambs. People still have nightmares about this Hannibal performance. 16 minutes total screen time. Um, Even Michael Keaton in Beetlejuice, I mean the movie is called Beetlejuice. 17 minutes of screen time. And uh, here's one that will blow your minds. Heath Ledger, who just steals the show in The Dark Knight, two and a half hour movie, he's in it for under 20 minutes. And then there's like little cameos that once you see them, you'll never forget them. Gene Hackman in um, uh, Young Frankenstein, Samuel L. Jackson in Deep Blue Sea. Some of you will never forget that one. And uh, Bill Murray in Zombieland. And so, but whether you're um, a star or a cameo with one line, you notice it's the actors who still get all the acclaim. What about the unheralded but totally necessary people who, who comprise the eight minutes of scrolling credits at the end of a, of a movie? You know, um, there's no Heath Ledger performance if there's no key grip, best boy, uh, gaffer, all of which, by the way, I have no idea what they do. But I know they're important because they're in every movie that I, that I watch. And, and we have people in um, our church who's, who are part of this growing Ontario film industry connected to our church. Jeff DeWold uh, just retired from it. You probably, if you look close enough, can see his name in some credits if you look for them. His, he and Nancy's son um, is in the business. And if you look hard, you can see him listed in the latest uh, Fast and Furious movie. Or maybe it was the second last. I know it was the one where Vin Diesel mumbled his lines about family and then drove over the speed limit. It was that, it was that one of the Fast uh, series. Neil and Kelly Garvey's uh, son is in the industry and uh, getting increasingly more responsibility. And, and you can find his name in the credits if you look hard enough. Um, I bet, though, that a lot of those projects, and let's be honest, most of them, you're not exactly bragging 
about. Um, you're not like, I don't know, bragging about another Bachelorette reality show or a Transformer sequel or a cheesy horror knockoff or, um, or even a successful but kind of critically hated movie. I don't know, like um, Super Mario or something, you know. Hey, it's a me, Chris Pratt, you know. Um, but imagine just being even a, a boom mic holder on Schindler's List or, or a story editor on Shawshank Redemption or uh, one of the many CGI artists on The Matrix or in the orchestra in Saving Private Ryan or an extra in Braveheart. You know, no one's going to recognize you walking down the street. Most people don't read the credits at the end of a movie. You would be unheralded, except maybe among your, your friends and family and those people in the industry. But still, just to have like a small contribution to those classics, what a privilege, right? What an honor to, to just be a footnote in a great work that will outlive you. Um, you know, in a way, all of us have a chance to do that, to have the honor of just even being a footnote in the timeless, perfect story that the, the author of salvation is writing. And we tend to focus a lot on, on the big names in the Bible, the, the writers, the heroes, even the villains. But have you ever thought about you know, the unsung heroes, maybe those not even mentioned, the, the unsung heroes, for instance, of the early church, those who helped house missionaries, uh, those brave souls who hosted church in their homes, who risked their business and their reputation and their safety to follow Jesus and this movement that he began. The money they gave, the time they gave, the risks they took. And unfortunately, even in our modern faith communities, we have a tendency to platform and highlight and feature all kinds of great talent and powerful speakers and amazing musicians, people with a brand, people with a platform, those who have big churches. And in, in elevating only those voices, what do we miss? We miss the, the faithful, often behind the scenes voices, servants who in God's economy are really doing the work of helping to truly build his kingdom. Christian celebrity is a problem. And look, people who motivate us and inspire us are great. Thing is though, we serve a God who's so much greater. I, I, I think, for instance, of the connectors in our church. This is a, this is a, a term that our, our board chair, Keith West, has kind of coined, connectors. And I'm so thankful, and I'm going to name some right now, which is always a bad idea because of the huge list of people that I'll leave out. But like, I'm thankful for Linda and Jessica and Rosemary and Paul and Lisa Waller and Jane and Don and Don Marie 
and Danita. And, you know, these are people with the ministry and the gift of building bridges, of connecting people in meaningful ways. I'm so, I'm so grateful for them. And they don't hold the view that the staff or the pastors are responsible for all the care and evangelism and one anothering of the community. Churches that operate from that philosophy of kind of leaving the ministry to the professionals, you know, it, it removes the responsibility each of us have to be a, a messenger for Christ. And it makes Christians passive. It, it makes Christians procrastinate from their assignment from God. And sometimes I'll come across a name in the Bible, a passage that I may have even read 50 times, and I realize I must have glazed over this bit player's name, um, this secondary character, if you will. And I'm like, where did that person come from? Why don't I know anything about them? I, I, they're in the Bible. What an honor that is, just to even get your name mentioned in the Bible. But uh, who is this person? Um, in particular... Paul, who you could say is the main character, and you could say that this person is kind of a footnote. I came across someone in, in Colossians 4.12, a man uh, named Epiphras, like uh, Sassafras for those uh, Western fans. Um, and we learn from context that Epiphras was Paul's friend, uh, his, his confidant, his ministry partner. And scholars believe that Epiphras was in uh, Colossae, which, which is probably why you see him mentioned in this letter, to the Colossians. And that he goes to visit Paul in prison in Rome. Okay, so you can Google map this yourself, but that's a 2,098 kilometer trip. No Uber, no WestJet. Uh, he, basically, he goes from Newmarket to Winnipeg, almost exactly, to visit his friend in prison. You prepared to do that? Uh, I think we're seeing a bit of the character and tenacity in his life that's also alluded to in his prayer. It turns out he's mentioned just three times in Scripture, really briefly, but each time we, we get a little sense of the man. Listen to this. This is from Colossians 4.12. Epiphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So Paul tells us that Epiphras didn't just pray, but there was a a passion, an intensity that he was always wrestling in prayer. I love that. In this case, he's wrestling in prayer for the new Christians that they would stand firm in the faith. Now, those brief words, I got to tell you, they, they challenge me, okay? I, I hope they challenge you. How often do I wrestle in prayer? Uh, do I, how often do I go to God with that kind of intensity implied here? Wrestling in prayer for the plight of other believers in persecuted countries. Wrestling in prayer for the salvation of friends and family who don't know Jesus. Um, for revival in our own generation, in our own city. Or 
do I spend time wrestling on Facebook, spouting opinions over culture war issues, instead of taking my requests, my anxieties, my fears, my questions to the Lord? And I do pray, I do pray, but so often, more than I'd like to admit, I'm, I'm tossing up prayer to God rather than wrestling it down in prayer. I'm lofting up, I'm uh, lofting up fly balls of requests, hoping, you know, God will field them. But that's praying the wrong metaphor. Uh, to wrestle, to wrestle means to fight for every inch, to, to get mat burns and sweat because you're not prepared to seed ground easily. Uh, have you ever met like a serious wrestler? Um, you can physically tell they're wrestlers from across the room. This is a picture of me with my best friend, uh, Randy Couture, from the UFC, former UFC heavyweight champion, Olympic wrestling team, actor, expendable, Randy Couture. Best friends might be an overstatement. He did ask if I would be his best friend, and... Um, and I never got back to him about that. But you'll notice, <laughs> you'll notice we're about the same size. Or I could be a bit bigger. It's hard to tell. Um, anyways, check out his ears. Called cauliflower ear. And, and you get that from blunt force trauma. You're in, you're in tight quarters. You're in headlocks. You got your, your ear rubbing up against bone and fabric and skin and on the mats and it's it's collateral damage from the war you know i mean this, that's real grappling in romans 15:14 there's a word or words that speak to the diligence the tenacity that i'm talking about it's it's in the new international version and it's the word endurance and in the original Greek, it's, it's two words. It's uh, huponeme and paraklesis, which, which means to um, abide and to beg, to, to call for help, uh, to, to abide in a place of seeking God's intervention and help. Sounds like a wrestling prayer to me. And, and maybe you ought to take it as a rebuke of our commitment issues that we have in the 21st century as Western Christians, you know, our commitment to gathering, our commitment to serving, to giving, to worshiping, to loving, to praying. We are getting as a generation, dare I say, flaky. We'll flake out on our Christian commitments. Uh, if practically anything more appealing comes along, oh, God will understand. And I'm not pointing a finger here. I'm confessing, okay? This, this footnote of a person challenges us to stay in prayer, to wrestle in prayer, to not flake out. To, I, I have the sense that some of our prayers that we've prayed aren't unanswered as much as they're unwrestled prayers. God presented us with an opportunity to lean deeply into Him. And we did... For a moment, and then we got distracted, or our iPhone buzzed, or we got frustrated, and we exited the prayer closet. 
And Jesus asked his disciples on the night he was betrayed, oh, guys, could you not have tarried one hour? And sometimes I think, oh, boy, Jonathan, could you not tarry five minutes? All we know about this footnote in the life of Paul and the early spread of the gospel is just a tiny bit of Epaphras' character and a description of his prayer life that he wrestled and grappled and labored over these baby Christians in Coloss. And so Paul is, of course, a great hero of the faith. A large percentage of the New Testament is written by Paul. And countless biographies and commentaries and movies are made about him. Like his impact is is obvious. The spread of the gospel throughout the known world in the first century is largely because of Paul. I just wonder, though, I can't help but wonder, what impact some of these footnote Christians like Epaphras may have had on the big story of God's move. Uh, And we may not know the impact until we're in heaven. I have a feeling, though, that it's an outsized impact in the supernatural world, in the unseen world. I wonder if, if people like Peggy and Andy Lindquist, uh, if we will discover in heaven that they had an outsized impact on people coming to Christ. And see, half of you don't even know who I'm talking about. They may only be remembered as a footnote in the story of Nack and, and the story of so many others coming to faith. But Lord, if that's the case, then please make me a footnote. Please. I, I have this memory of someone saying, possibly a Christian author or a speaker or a missionary, Lord, make me a footnote. And I checked Google. I, I even checked uh, ChatGPT if the quote exists. I can't find it. I don't know if I'm misremembering. Maybe someone can correct me after the service. But regardless, I feel like that's a worthy prayer. Lord, just to be a footnote in this grand ongoing story of what you're doing here on earth and building your kingdom in Newmarket, in South Lake, in Canada, in the world. Not that I would be remembered by others, but that my life might have some eternal impact for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, make me a footnote. I'll close with this story. Um, Before Billy Graham went to be with Jesus, he had an estimated audience throughout his lifetime, including radio and television broadcasts of 2.2 billion people, 2.2 billion souls. That means approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth or sought to, he sought to win each of them personally to the Lord. And you know, um, that's hard to wrap your mind around. And Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone in history. But did you ever wonder who shared the gospel with him? Um, You ever hear 
of a man named Edward Kimball. It's okay, most people have never heard of him. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but also, I mean, loved them. He sought to win each of them to the Lord personally. You know, we have some hyper boys in this church too. Did you know that? Oh, yeah? So you, gave, you gave witness to it? Yeah, good. And, and there are some saints, like a Bonnie Baber, for instance, just to name one, who might end up being a wonderful footnote in some of these kids' stories. Edward Kimball decided he would be intentional with every last one of them. And surely there must have been days where he thought about throwing in the towel. Have you ever taught the Bible to young boys? Have you ever tried to herd cats, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, there was one young man in particular who didn't seem to understand the gospel and was about, um, he was about to give up. And so Kimball went to the shoe store where this young man had a part-time job stocking shelves. And in that stock room, he told him about the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that young man was named Dwight L. Moody. And this is a main character, you could say, in church history and Christian faith. In that stockroom on a Saturday, Dwight L. Moody received Jesus Christ as his savior. Now, in his lifetime, D.L. Moody touched two continents for God. Thousands came to know Jesus through his ministry. But the story doesn't end there. Actually, that's where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman became an evangelist himself who preached to thousands. And one day there was a professional baseball player who just on a whim attended one of Chapman's meetings. And there, Billy Sunday was converted. And now these names are starting to mean something to us old timers. Billy Sunday quit baseball and became part of Chapman's evangelistic team. And then Billy Sunday started having his own uh, record-setting evangelistic crusades. And under his ministry, another young man was converted, whose name was Mordecai Ham. Good old-timey name, Mordecai Ham. Sounds like Silas John Henry Robinson. <laughs> Silas John Henry Robinson was invented. Yeah. He was, a, a, as Mordecai Ham, a scholarly, uh, dignified gentleman who began preaching across the country. And Mordecai Ham goes to Charlotte, North Carolina, and there was this sandy-haired, lanky young man who was in high school, and he vowed, there's no way I'm going to go to this tent meeting and hear this guy preach. But Billy Frank, as his family called him, did eventually go. Uh, Mordecai Ham announced on one night that he knew, in fact, that there was, a, there was a house of ill repute located across from the high school, and he knew that there were male students skipping lunch to visit that house, and the students got mad that he called them out, and they were going to go interrupt the tent meeting, and so Billy Frank decide to see what would happen. Maybe there'd be a demonstration or a fight. And that night, Billy went and was so intrigued by what he heard, he came the next night and he responded to the invitation that was made to follow Jesus. And Billy Frank, who became 
known to us as Billy Graham, the evangelist, would then preach to more people than anyone in history, more than Jesus, more than Paul, more than anyone. And it's this fascinating chain of events that was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for his one student. A mere footnote in the story of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham may actually be the reason that some of you or some of your parents are now walking with Christ. Is that right, Beryl? Oh. And your dad, amazing. Went to England, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Listen, you have served in some capacity. You have uh, loved others in your neighborhood. You have wondered, is this going to bear any fruit? Is this actually making any difference or not? And you've gotten discouraged. Be- you, you've thought about quitting because you're not seeing any results. Next time you're tempted to give up, would you remember this simple dude, Edward Kimball, whose persistence and faithfulness was absolutely honored by the Lord? The kind of fruitfulness that wasn't just like tenfold, but 2.2 billion. The story would have looked so differently if there had been no Edward Kimball. Lord, make me a footnote. Make us a footnote. Make, make us a footnote in the bigger story that you are writing in South Lake and beyond. And may the seeds that we are planting, while we may not even know about it in our lifetime, may the seeds produce a tenfold harvest, a hundredfold harvest, maybe even beyond what we could ask or imagine. Will you watch this simple illustration of how of how this can work out in real life. Watch this. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. 
and if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on Uncommon Joy and Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Yeah. Oh, but they will meet one day. They will. And you may not ever know the impact you had by serving someone at the soup kitchen and just loving on them. Kids, you may not realize the kind of impact you could have on your friends at school, but you do. You have an impact. And so, Lord, would you make us even just a footnote in the life story of someone else's conversion? Would you make us a footnote even in the grand story that you're writing of bringing your kingdom to earth as it is in heaven? What an honor it would be, Lord. Make us a footnote, I pray, Jesus' name.